0: Nebraska on Tap, the source for everything educational and informational about groundwater in agriculture. If you are an ag producer or a citizen of Nebraska, this show is made for you by the Middle Republican Natural Resource District.
1: Now it's time for our weekly show hosted by Heather Disming. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Nebraska on Tap. This week, we have a great show going on. So we partnered with the Daughtry Food for Water Institute, to talk to one of their postdoctoral research associates, who is studying the economics. So before we had Sarah on, she talked to us about the program that she had know your wells this time we're going to talk to Anashka about her groundwater economic studies she has a really crazy perspective on all this stuff because she studies data so much so she spent some time in Africa and she studied their maize production and now we are so grateful to have her here in Nebraska to be studying about land and agriculture so her study is an economic implications of droughts in the US specifically the agricultural sectors Um, we all know that pertains to us here in nebraska where our biggest product to everybody is agriculture um, she graduated first in michigan state before coming to nebraska and then she again spent that time in africa so let's get into my interview with her you don't want to miss this she's got some great stuff to talk about and it's great getting to know her here we go
0: My name is Akanksha, so I'm a postdoc working with the Tafuti Water for Food Institute and the National Drought Mitigation Center, both of which are a part of the University of Nebraska system. I did my PhD from Michigan State University in 2021 in agricultural economics. My work is related to applied microeconomics or conducting research on issues around agriculture and environmental economics and economic policies. And right now, my focus is on understanding the economic implications of droughts in the United States, especially for the agricultural sector. And my most important project is related to the groundwater regulations in Nebraska and the economic impacts that they can potentially have on the farming sector
1: we know all too well about that here in the republican valley like for instance here in the middle republican we have telemetry meters which are accurate up to 0.1 when it comes mm-hmm. to water reading um, that we have Ken sign put in so mm-hmm. we are on track with you when it comes to your uh, <laughs> research that you've been doing soon will probably be part of your data pool you, you spent time at michigan state studying can you tell us a little bit about that and
0: then your, your yeah. trip to your time in Africa? Yeah, so I was a student at Michigan State University um, and there my area of work was related to applied economics but more towards understanding agricultural markets and food security in sub-Saharan Africa. And as a part of that, I got a chance to visit Zambia, which was the context, uh, the case which I was studying. And it was a great time, a great opportunity for me. I happened to visit a beautiful country and get to know its people and the beautiful landscape. So my work, I spent two months in Zambia. And uh, during that time, I was associated with the government of Zambia, as well as local non-government organization. And their purpose was to collect uh, national level data on agricultural farms. It was like a census of agriculture Uh for Zambia. Yeah, so I was associated with that project. So my job there was to, you know, provide some subject matter support in, you know, developing the survey instruments, training others in conducting the survey and understanding the concerns or the constraints that are faced by the people there in conducting the survey and then taking that training to the local people so that the people who will be actually involved in the data collection. So I involved in this entire process. And Mm -hmm. then after we trained the data collectors, we then for a month traveled all over uh, one district or like a, a county Mm -hmm. or a couple of counties in Zambia, just traveling from one village to another. It was just a, a, it was stressful at that time, but now when I look back, it was all fun. It was great experience. And the people that who were working with me, they were amazing. They were so resilient. So such a strong work culture to, you know, do the best of what they want what they are doing, be the best of what they're trying to do. So I had a great experience working there. We were we would travel to the villages and we would basically ensure that the process was going smoothly that nobody is facing any problems and if they have you know concerns relating to say access to water or what access to food when they are in the field we would help them with that we would help you know because we have more uh, mobile we had more mobility with moving around Uh and if there were any concerns with the quality of the data that was being collected we would monitor that we would make sure that all of that was going well so yeah that was basically my work which was two months that i spent in zambia Yeah. yeah and how did this data
1: end up helping the farmers in zambia after you guys collected it and took it back and analyzed it
0: yeah so this data is part of an ongoing data collection since several years because it's like a census of agriculture you know so it it has been used in numerous studies i conducted my own dissertation based on this data and so all of these studies are basically to inform the agricultural sector of zambia in my particular work Mm -hmm. i studied the maize markets or the corn markets in zambia and which is like the most important crop for Zambians. It is their staple uh, crop. So uh, most farmers in Zambia grow corn. Typical variety of corn, it is white, not yellow. So um, I I wanted to see if when farmers are liquidity constrained, when they do not have access to cash, or they have some constraints in the amount of cash they can use to buy inputs for their agricultural practices, which means like, you know, seed or fertilizer, good quality fertilizer from the market, you know, how does that affect their ability to sell corn in the market and to take advantage of some of the government schemes that provides higher prices, higher assured prices to the farmers. And I found that farmers who have constraints in accessing cash for, you know, their agricultural activities, they actually end up producing less and thus selling less because, you know, most of these farmers are dependent on what they grow on their farm for meeting their own consumption needs. So basically they will be first using their production for feeding their own family and whatever is left over will be what they will be able to sell. So often, farmers don't have enough leftover so they're not able to sell anything and if they are able to sell anything it is so small that they would rather sell it within their community to somebody who you know say shows up to their uh, house and just they are able to just sell it off mm-hmm. rather than going to the you know the village headquarter or the district headquarter and then accessing the government agency there and being able to sell that so that is what i found that there are constraints at the production level and until those are not addressed a government um, a government intervention at the marketing level uh-huh. may only be benefiting those who have larger farms or have more access to these inputs yeah and then you flip it over here to america where Uh they do have
1: the larger farms and they do have Uh the bigger inputs and they have Uh all the crazy hybrid seed they could ever think of coming (laughs) at them. (laughs) That's been Uh tested, you know, in a lab in Ames, Iowa. Is that interesting to see the difference in like a a government helping a farmer out versus one, you know, that's kind of trying to figure out how to help the farmer out?
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting, but also, in a way, you know, there are problems with every system, and there are challenges, and the challenges may be different, but there are challenges everywhere. And in all the context, um, work of people like me is to be able to clear the clutter, in a way, Uh, there's so much confusion about what's happening where, and to be able to give a more objective and clearer picture of, okay, let's think about this from a, from an economic framework, let's, put a structure into all this messy problem. So it was very interesting to learn about the different challenges of agriculture in the United States where the problem so much may not be in terms of whether farmers have access to the inputs uh, or like the size of the farm or the amount of output they are producing, but rather that how the resources can be used in a way so that they are they're able, able to generate a healthy economy today, but also to be able to continue doing that into the future, which you know for Nebraska or other states in the Western United States is a concern related to water because right. a lot of the farming sector is dependent on water to support the farming sector. It is in semi-arid area and may not always receive rainfall. So it was a very different context, but very interesting to learn about here
1: uh, we I mean anybody can access the aquifer levels and Mm -hmm. see where the aquifer has dropped and Mm -hmm. uh, to get us out of Nebraska for a little bit you look at Southwest Mm -hmm. Kansas for instance and whoa you know now farms Mm -hmm. are having to go to dry land yeah so what made you choose Nebraska or did Nebraska
0: choose you I think it was a two-way road there. Okay. Uh, I had the opportunity of interviewing with the scholars here at uh, University of Nebraska and they had an exciting they had a lot of exciting work being done on water and the use of water for irrigation in agriculture. That in in itself I think was a very interesting area of work. I had not worked on it before. But what they needed from me was specifically some expertise in uh, using data and using data to inform research. And that is where, you know, my skills matched with what they needed. And I wanted to, you know, be able to contribute to my skills to a very interesting topic, which is related to a natural resource, so important, like water. There is no doubt we will be always needing water for our survival. So I thought that was very interesting. And I was also uh, interested in improving my skills in using data to inform research because you know as we know we are living in an age of data we want to make the best use of the information around us to inform all our decisions and yeah so that was my motivation in joining this position and the people at the institute here were interested in using my skills to help with their research work so i think it was a good match
1: yeah it sounds like it and i'm so glad it worked out welcome to nebraska Mm -hmm. Whether, the you. weather doesn't know what's going on, and sometimes neither do we. <laughs> At least
0: it's sunny here. I compared know, to... right? <laughs> Is Michigan not very sunny? No, not during the winter. Oh, it's no. almost like three months of no sun, which oh. I hate. Which I, love, I love the winters of Nebraska compared to Michigan. I, I love it here because it's sunny in the winters. I know. The sun always was like, okay, let's get out and do
1: something. It's sunny. Yeah. Let's get exactly. wild then the yeah. wind's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it comes to this water conservation economics mm-hmm. that you are looking at now at the Doe mm-hmm. Water Center, using that groundwater in drier areas, we kind of talked about that in Western Nebraska and the Western states, mm-hmm. how does the economics that you've studied deal with the drought patterns and the value that land
0: receives because of these drought patterns? What I try to do in my research or other researchers, what we try to do using our expertise in economics is to understand how droughts may impact people who are dependent on um, agriculture for their economic well-being basically right. or in general uh, trying to understand what would be the economic implications of drought and because my work is primarily related to agriculture that is where i'm focused on so we try to first of all think about it from an you know economic perspective like putting using our skills our knowledge about economics to uh, walk through the different channels of how drought may impact the economy. First of all, it's very straightforward to think that you know a drought may have an impact on crop yields and so may impact the farmer due to a loss in their crop yields and so yeah. their revenue, right? But mm-hmm. the other thing way of thinking about it could be that farmers may adapt to drought by adopting more irrigation or by changing their crop the crop choice, uh-huh. you know, or, you know, some other formats of some institutional change, some the government may bring in some subsidies, some kind of support, or disaster relief. So we try to think about all of the, those different aspects. Those are the different aspects that we explore. First of all, we try to think about those just different aspects, and we generate what is we call hypothesis about, you know, okay, this might happen, this might happen, case one, case two, case three, and then we use data or information through some sources to test about what really is happening. Is this scenario being played out or scenario two being played out. So that's broader picture, I guess.
1: No, that uh, makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a great answer. I mean, because when you do work in economics, it's a lot of math and a lot of um, sorting and categorizing. But like you said, using two different or three different scenarios, whatever you guys decide to, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because drought patterns either persist or sometimes they change and depends on, Mrs. El Niña or Mr. El Niño uh, right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you study some other aquifers in the US and kind of compare them to the stress on them compared to the stress on the Ogallala
0: that's here in Nebraska? I, I do not in my okay. personal, in my work, but there are certainly many other researchers oh. within the University of Nebraska who do that. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, I can talk about my work related to the groundwater regulations in Nebraska, which is like the most important project that I have been involved in. Okay. So when I first joined the institute, you know, I was really intrigued by the local governance structure in Nebraska. It's something that I had never seen or heard of, especially because my work is related to, you know, was related to the sub-Saharan Africa, where we did not learn so much about the local institutions, or there were fewer local institutions, by for that matter. I was really intrigued and very interested that there are the natural resources districts, which, you know, in a way manage their own Uh, natural resources so I got interested in that and I started learning more about what what is happening within the NRDs and that got me to you know learning about the groundwater regulations and you know of course the conflicts that happened between Kansas and Nebraska and Colorado related to the Republican River which was like uh, you know a lot of news about that so that got me that got me Uh, just learning about how Nebraska, you know, tackled with that entire scenario and how uh, its governance goes back into the 1960s and 70s, which was, you know, just fascinating for me. And I, what I did was that I had, I, I studied the policy documents of all the NRDs. And then I had conversations with researchers who have you know, worked on these regulations for several years. Dr. Dave Eichen, was one of the person that I talked with, and um, then I talked with the NRD leaders, some of them, mm-hmm. just to you know, kind of understand with what is happening within the NRDs. And I got a lot of lot of interesting information about what's going on. So what I ended up doing was that I tracked the evolution of the regulations within nebraska and i have now i'm now working on compiling them to be able to share them with like a wider audience that i think could be very useful for other regions which are only now beginning to develop their groundwater regulations you know especially looking at california which is still in the process of developing its groundwater regulations Mm -hmm. so you know the point i'm trying to make here is that in Nebraska, the regulations and the framework for creating these regulations have been in place since the 1970s. Yes. And it takes a long time. It's a process of, you know, that involves the local people, the people who are dependent on the groundwater, the political leaders, the local leaders, it involves a lot of stakeholders to come to a decision about what kind of regulations can and cannot be placed. So it's not something that can happen overnight. So that's the kind of uh, one of the aspect of my work is that and that's I think very interesting and I've been really excited by what I've been able to get there the other thing that I've tried to do with that is look at how these regulations have changed land values and or if or not they have had any impact on land values Mm -hmm. and what I did find was that Irrigated farms don't seem to uh, have any change following a groundwater regulation, be it well moratorium or water allocations. They don't seem to change uh, in land value. But non-irrigated farms, dryland farms, when there is a well moratorium placed on them, I found a 9% decrease in their land values. Yeah, I'm still trying to explore what's going on there. So that's a work in progress. But uh, one of the most important projects that I've been part of all your work seems to be extremely fascinating. And I hope that you
1: you make some really crazy headway when it comes to diving (laughs) into the question that arises around of non irrigated farmland and uh, how all that works. And I know that the NRDs are something very unique to Nebraska that other states don't have, whether they all work together sometimes or not so much, (laughs) depending on the personality. Um, I mean, they do make a difference.
0: Um I would just add that you know I am just one person who works within like the Dafferty Water for Food and the National Drought Mitigation Center there is a plethora of interesting work being done at the institute uh, and I think if you would want to know more about some of the work that we do here, I would be just more than happy to put you in touch with the, the other researchers who work here.
1: If wants to uh, see all the research, they can also visit the website too, to uh, check yeah. in on all the cool stuff that's going on at the Daughtry Water Institute there in Lincoln. Exactly, yeah. Perfect, well thank you so much for joining us today and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so
0: much Heather, it was so nice talking to you. Yes.
1: Again thank you so much Anashka for coming on to the show this week and talking to us about all the knowledge that you have on everything that you've been studying from agriculture in Nebraska to agriculture in Africa. So again please remember to like and subscribe. You can go to our www.nebraskaontap.com page and you can check out some of the stuff we have there and then you can go to our YouTube page, and like and subscribe us uh spotify apple podcast we would love to keep in contact with you because we hope we have some great information going out there and we want to get everybody involved in the education aspect so i hope everybody has a great week stay warm and we will talk to you later bye bye